You may be seated. <clears throat> so this morning, um, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, um, and for maybe those of you who have been here for a while, you know, and today those of you who are here with us for the first time will know that we have spent the bulk of our year here at Summit Ridge in the book of Psalms, that we have been journeying through this incredibly beautiful book that um, is really in the center of your Bible, if you have one with you this morning. And so it's an incredibly easy book to find. And the Psalms are a collection of worship songs, of poems, of declarations, of prayers, of laments, everything about the incredible dynamic relationship that I believe each and every one of us can and does maybe have with God. There are times, as with relationships with one another, that we go through ups and downs, that we go through periods of dryness, we go through periods of joy, we go through periods of heartache, we go through periods of pain, and we go through unbelievable periods of just incredible, wonderful bliss. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. And the beautiful thing about the Psalms is that it doesn't hide or try to mask or try to give a false sense of what it means for us to have a relationship with God. There are times that our relationship with God is not going to go very well. There are times it's going to seem as though he is absent or distant, that we might pray and we're wondering, God, where are you? Why are you not answering my prayers? We might even be looking at our own world and we might be wondering, God, where are you in the midst of this? This is so incredibly, just unbelievably fraught with evil and things that shouldn't be the way they are. And God, where are you in the midst of all this? And then there are times where you'd be like, man, God is awesome. He answered my prayer the way that I wanted him to answer it, right? There are times that God did things that I wanted him to do. And, it, and it's wonderful. God, I love you. I love you. And the beautiful thing about the book of Psalms is no matter what the thread line, if you will, through the entire book of Psalms is regardless of where we are, is that we can still praise God no matter what, through the ups, through the downs. In other words, if you want to know how we should love God, how can we love God, the book of Psalms is a great place to start. The book of Psalms is all about teaching us, showing us what it means for us to love God. I love what C.S. Lewis has shared about the book of Psalms. I've shared this quote before, and I think it is absolutely pertinent or relevant to what we're going to be looking at today. He wrote this, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express that same delight in God which made David dance. Referring to King David, referring to the time when the Ark of the Covenant, after having been absent out of Israel, having been taken by the Philistines, was now brought back into the city of Jerusalem after some time of understanding how to properly treat God's Ark. And when it was brought back in Jerusalem, David, the king of Israel at that time, just kind of stripped off into nothing but what was his undergarments in that time. And he danced in front of the ark. So much so, I don't know if he had rhythm. Perhaps his wife, uh, Michael, did not think he had rhythm. Um, and his wife looked at David and said, you have debased yourself by doing this. You have, you have made yourself a mockery among the people because you have danced so foolishly in front of the ark. And David's response to his wife not a great husbandly response, mind you. But nonetheless, his response to his wife essentially was, hey, listen, um, I don't care. The ark is back. 
God is back in this place, and I'm going to dance regardless of how foolish I may or may not look in front of everyone else. I do not care. And by the way, because you've said what you said, we're not going to have any sort of relationship after this. And he didn't. By the way, this was Saul's daughter. So there's some history there, to say the least. Saul was the first king of Israel who tried to kill David many, many, many times. And so there was, yeah, anyways, a little history there. But nonetheless, um, it, it's amazing. Have you ever made a fool of yourself for Jesus? Have you ever made a fool of yourself where someone looked at you and said, you're a Jesus freak? You're a Jesus freak. I'm not saying you had to dance. I'm not talking about that. Maybe. Um, I, as I've shared before, some of you, many of you know, but many of you may not know, I'm German. I don't emote myself very well. And so obviously there's all forms of different worship. There are people who love to raise their hands, and I think that's wonderful, and what a beautiful expression of praising God. There are people who love to kneel and all that kind of stuff. And when people are raising their hands, I might think I'm raising my hands on the inside. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? It's just how it is sometimes. But nonetheless, it's okay. It's, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. That's not what I'm talking about here. Don't be obnoxious. But it's okay to make a fool of ourselves when we're in the praise of Jesus Christ. It's okay. It's okay. No judgments whatsoever. It's just a beautiful thing when we are caught up in this. It is just incredibly wonderful. And so I think this is so relevant for us to realize because as we're going to take a look at today's psalm, Psalm 145, it is all about praising God. It is all about praising the one whom has brought us here, who has made us alive, and now in return, we get to praise him. And so I titled this morning's message, Why I Praise God. And this morning, I want to just share with you three reasons. They're not the only reasons. They're not the only reasons, but they're the reasons I see in this beautiful Psalm 145 of why I praise God. And my hope and my prayer is, is that as you hear these reasons this morning, maybe, maybe, they might be some reasons as to why you too can praise God, okay? So we're going to look at Psalm 145. If you have a Bible with you, you're certainly welcome to turn there. If you have it on your phone, go ahead and do that. We'll have it on the screens uh, on either side of me as well. We have you covered, okay? We have you covered. Here is Psalm 145, and just by way of background, here it is. It is. King David is, is credited with writing this psalm, and it is an acrostic. In other words, it's an acrostic describing from in our alphabet, A to Z, or in the Hebrew alphabet, A to Z, so to speak, of why David praises God. And it is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And the purpose of this psalm essentially is to try to lead everyone, to inspire everyone, to call everyone to do the same, to praise God. And there are reasons why we can and should do this. And the first reason is this that I want to share with you this morning. I praise God because he is great. I don't mean, God, you're great. Certainly that's a reason. What I'm saying is, wow, God, you're, you're a great, great God. Big, huge, beyond comprehension to some degree. Unbelievable. Take a look at what David writes in the first seven verses of this psalm. I will extol you. In other words, I will exalt you. I will praise you. I will give you praise, my God, O King. I will praise your name continually, every day. I will praise you. I will praise your name continually. That word continually in the Hebrew is metaphorically for forever. 
I will not stop. I will continue to do it every single day in front of everyone. It does not matter, and I will do it forever. And this is why. The Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. No one can fathom his greatness. Let me say that again. No one can fathom his greatness. And I love that. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that the God that we know, the God that has been revealed to us, not only as the Father, but also as the Son, and now as the Holy Spirit, that if we were to fully realize and be fully experienced of who he truly is, we probably couldn't handle it right now. He gives us enough for us to handle who he is. I think of that picture of Moses, who after journeying for so many, so many years with God, Moses finally says to God, hey God, you know, I'd like to see you. I want to see you face to face. I want to be able to just be able to converse with you. God says, you can't. But here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to cover your eyes. I'm going to walk past. And as I walk past, I'm going to open up your eyes and you can just see my backside and that's it. Because if you were to see me for who, for who I truly am, you would not live. And there are times throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, I'll, mainly in the Old Testament, but there's some references in the New, that even the sight of an angel, most of the time when people encountered an angel in the Scriptures, it wasn't this euphoric, oh my word, this is beautiful. Oh my word, I cannot believe you showed up. Oh my word, this is awesome. Stay, all this kind of stuff. No, it's like, oh, I'm dead. I'm going to die. Because you have revealed yourself to me. And in those days, if God ever revealed themselves, that was the last thing you ever saw they believed. And time and time again, even with Mary, as the angel came to share with Mary, you're going to be pregnant with a child who is the son of God. Mary's first response when seeing this angel wasn't, this is wonderful. It was, oh my word, I'm going to die. It wasn't until the angel explained, no, 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 no. This is good. This is good. It's okay. Just think about that for a second. Our God is great. Our God is incredibly wonderful and huge. Let me just give you an example. There's a pastor by the name of Louis Giglio, and he does some wonderful things about explaining the greatness of God. And he takes it from the vastness of the universe down to even us as created individuals. Let me give you an idea of just the vastness of the universe, specifically our own Milky Way, if you were will our own solar system even let's just narrow it down right there is one star in our solar system we all know that right it's called the sun right the surface of the sun is 10,000 degrees fahrenheit it's 93 million miles away and is a million times the size of the earth a million times if the earth were the size of a golf ball the sun would be 15 feet in diameter in fact the sun is so big you could put 960,000 of our Earths inside the sun. 960,000 of us, of this Earth, inside the sun. That is enough golf balls to fill a school bus in its entirety. That's huge. Oh, but it gets even bigger. It gets even bigger. The sun is just one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way, by the way. And there is another star that is called uh, the Betelgeuse is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. It is huge. It is incredibly huge. In this, you could fit 252 trillion Earths inside of this star. That's incredible. If the Earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill us, in this, uh, that would be enough to fill the Superdome 
3,000 times, the Superdome in New Orleans. Think about that. And there is even one that's even bigger than that. It is just crazy. In this largest star, if the Earth were a golf ball, this star would be the size, it's called Canis Majoris, would be the height of Mount Everest, almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet. You could fit inside of that seven quadrillion Earths inside of it. Seven quadrillion. Just to give you an idea, if the Earth were a golf ball again, it would cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. Have you ever been in Texas? <laughs> Have you ever driven through Texas? Texas is a big state. It is a big state. And yet, here's the thing. Let's bring it down to a level maybe we could better understand. God made you and me from one cell from your mom, meeting up with one cell from your dad, each one carrying 23 chromosomes. The one from your mom was carrying half of her DNA. The one from your dad was carrying half of his DNA. And those two cells met and merged into a single cell. And when they did, those chromosomes matched. And when they did, they began to form together a brand new DNA code using four characters, four nucleotides, and they began to write out what is the three billion character description of who you are written in the language of God, describing who God had ordained you to be. You are an original. Think about that. There is no one else like you on this planet Earth. Whenever anyone says you should be more like so-and-so, unless it's Jesus, it's okay to say, I'm an original. <laughs> I'm an original. This is me. I am an original. There is no one else like me on Earth. And some might say, amen. <laughs> and others might say, well, we need more of you. <laughs> I'm going to let you decide which is which. If you took the DNA out of that one little cell that made you and stretched it out, that DNA would be six feet long. Three billion characters stretched out to six feet long. If a person were to read your DNA, one character per second, night and day, it would take that person 96 years just to read a description of you. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. It is just beautiful, isn't it? And you know what the problem of sin is? There's many problems with sin, okay? But one particular problem with sin is we try to take God and bring God to our level and make ourselves seem greater than him. And that's a really dangerous thing to do, in my opinion. It's a really disrespectful thing to do, to make God as though he was less than us. It's not true. Our God is great. Our God is great. And it goes on. David writes this, and he says this. Um, I, I'm going to focus. He says, one generation will praise your deeds to another and tell about your mighty acts. I will focus on your honor and majestic splendor and your amazing deeds. They will proclaim the power of your awesome acts, and I will declare your great deeds. And they will talk about the fame of your great kindness and sing about your justice. Did you hear what David says? You are so great, God. I'm going to proclaim your great deeds. And here's a question. What are the great deeds that God does? And there are many of them, right? I mean, there's miracles that happen. 
There are things that take place, healings that take place. But even more than that, in spite of all of those great miracles, and by the way, they are wonderful, they are great healings and, and prophecies and beautiful, wonderful things that we look at and we go, that could only have been God who did this. There's another thing that we need to realize about perhaps the greatest deed I think that God does. And God tells this in Luke chapter 10, verses 19 through 20. He says this after his disciples, after he sent them out two by two to go and proclaim the gospel to the surrounding areas in Israel. And they come back and they report on what they did. And the disciples are excited. They are amped up because they were like, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. The things we could do in your name. We cast out demons. We healed people. It was amazing. Truly amazing what we could do in your name. And Jesus says this to them, beginning with verse 19. He says, look, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and on the full force of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, I love this, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names stand written in heaven. You know what the greatest deed I think that God does in our lives? Is he changes a person's heart. A person who was once an enemy of God is now a friend. A person who was once turned away from God is now turned towards God. That is the greatest miracle ever, is a changed heart. What we saw here today in these baptisms, it's what took place before these baptisms had happened. That was the greatest miracle ever. Their hearts were changed. Their hearts were completely changed. That is perhaps the greatest deed that God does. Martin Luther King Jr. said this about himself. I may not be the man I want to be. I may not be the man I ought to be. I may not be the man I could be. I may not be the man I truly can be, but praise God, I'm not the man I once was. Hmm. Alice Cooper <laughs> said this. I was one thing at one time, and now I'm something new. I'm a new creature now. Don't judge Alice by what he used to be. Praise God for what I am now. Yeah, amen. By the way, you can go home and say the pastor quoted Alice Cooper in church today. <laughs> yes, amazing. Amazing. You know what is the most exciting stories ever? are people's stories of them coming to know Jesus Christ and of them seeing and sharing about who they once were and now who they are now and looking forward to who they will be when Jesus Christ completes the work that they began, that he began rather, in their life. We are still all a work in progress and one day that work will be completed and when it is, wow. Can you, you can't, I can't even imagine it. That I don't know if heaven will have any mirrors. I hope it doesn't, because if it does, we will look at that completed work, and we will never want to turn away from that mirror. We will be that glorious. We will be that beautiful, church. It is incredibly awesome. Here's a second reason. That was just one. Here's a second reason why I praise God. I praise God because He is good. I praise God because He is good. David goes on and says this, the Lord is merciful and compassionate. He is patient and demonstrates great loyal love. The Lord is good to all and has compassion on all he has made. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right here. 
if, if you hear nothing from me to this morning, I want you to understand and understand and hear this. Who is God good to? You could say it loudly and boldly. Everyone. Who is God compassionate towards? Everyone, everything he has made. And who has he made? Every single one of us. God's posture is not one of anger. It's not one of judgment right away. God's posture towards us is compassionate. It's mercy. It's grace. That's a good God. That is a good God. No wonder Psalm 34, 8 says the following, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes shelter in him. David goes on and he says this, all your works in verse 10 of Psalm 145 will give thanks to you, Lord. Your loyal followers will praise you. They will proclaim the splendor of your kingdom. They will tell about your power so that mankind might acknowledge your mighty acts and your majestic splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an eternal kingdom and your domain or dominion rather endures through all generations. The Lord supports all who fall and lifts up all who are bent over. Everything looks to you in anticipation and you provide them with food on a regular basis. You open your hand and fill every living thing, that the food it desires. I mean, God is so good. Do you ever think about this? I mean, I, I understand there's a temptation for us, to, and I, I get it. There is some credit, right? We work, we eat. We work, we get to have money, we get to live. However, ultimately, who gives us all of this is God. God gives us all this, right? Truly, sometimes we might lose sight of this. There's a story of scientists who came together, and they said, you know what? I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again, okay? Um, you know what? Um, we, we just decided, they made a decision we don't need God anymore. We've got everything down. We know, we know how to do things. We know how to create things, all this kind of stuff. And so they elected one scientist to go and tell God about their decision. How would you like to be that guy? <coughs> Excuse me. They go. He goes, and he says, well, God, I'm here today because um, we all met as scientists. We made a decision that we just don't need you anymore. You're good. Go and retire. God listened patiently, calmly, rationally, compassionately, and said, okay, well, before I go, let's do a little experiment. Let's have a little competition or experiment about who can create what. Why don't you, why don't we create um, a, a plant? from the dirt. And the scientist said, okay, I can do that. And the scientist scoops down and picks up some dirt, and God says, no, 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 no. Get your own dirt. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, we have a lot to credit ourselves, and it's all because of God that he's given us a mind to think and to create, and because we're made in his image, we can do all these wonderful things. But it is because of God that we have this ability. And we must never lose sight of this. He's the one who takes care of us. 
He's the one who feeds us. By the way, in sitting here this morning and standing, have any of you thought about the fact that you're breathing right now, that you're taking in air and exhaling? Have anybody thought about the fact that your heart is still beating and doing its stuff that it should be doing? Has anybody given thought to the fact that at this very moment, your body is functioning the way it could be and should be, and that's why you're able to be here, and that we don't give any thought to it, we just take that for granted? That's God. That's God. Now you're thinking about it. I mean, that's, that's God. That's what he's doing. There was a, a late monk and author, Thomas Merton. He says this, to be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he has given us. And he has given us everything. Life itself. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of existence is a grace for it brings with it immense graces with him. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, is constantly awakening to new wonder and to praise of the goodness of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but rather by experience, and that this what makes all the difference. You ever just simply say, thank you, God? Thank you, God, that I'm alive this morning. Thank you, God, that I'm able to take breath this morning. I'm able to serve you as I seek to serve others. Thank you, God, that I'm able to be here. Thank you, God, for giving me enough food to eat for this day, enough clothing to wear, and I get to have a roof over my head. Thank you, God, that I have a job. I may not like this job very well, but at least I have a job. And it pays so far. Thank you, God, that, that I'm able to, you know, just be able to live. And every day isn't great but I'm still here for a reason. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. Amen. And in that response to his goodness, all that we can maybe say and simply should say is just thank you. Nothing more. Thank you. Number three, I praise God because he is generous. I praise God because he is generous. Ending with this few verses of 17 through 20 in Psalm 21, rather through Psalm 145. The Lord is just in all his actions and exhibits love in all he does. Let me rest there for just a second. He exhibits love in all he does. You mean to tell me, Pastor, does God exhibit his love when he's judging? Yes. Those of you who are parents, you know what that, what that means. When you tell your, your child, your son or your daughter, listen, that is not good to do. That is wrong. You, sh you cannot, you will not do that in this family. That is judging. And we don't think twice about it. But when it comes to God judging us, oh God, I thought you were a loving God. How dare you tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. He's our father. Yes, God loves us even when he judges us. God loves us in his jealousy for us. God loves us in his mercy and compassion, in his grace. Everything here about what David has written here, everything he does, everything he exhibits, everything exhibits his love and everything he does. That is God's motivation. His love for you and I. And it goes on in verse 18 and says this, The Lord is near. All who cry out to him, 
all who cry out to him sincerely. He satisfies the desire of his loyal followers. He hears their cry for help and delivers them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. That's a hard verse. It's a hard verse. It is never, I believe, God's desire to see a single person go to a place in eternity where he doesn't exist. That's hell. Hell is simply a place where God doesn't exist. And by the way, if you think it's hell on earth now, you haven't seen anything yet. Wait until God is no longer here. Then we can say that's hell on earth. Then we can say that. God doesn't desire anyone to go there. However, that being said, if a person dedicates their entire life and has their entire life bent away from God and rejecting God and doesn't want anything to do with God, do you know what the worst punishment could be at the end of that life? Is for God to say, eh, you're going to spend eternity with me anyways. You get to spend eternity with the one you have rejected your entire life that you didn't want to spend time with. That's a terrible, terrible punishment. I believe what God does at the end of the time, if a person has continually rejected God and God will say at the end, listen, I, have, I love you, I still love you, I will always love you, that will never change. However, because you have desired not to be with me, I will honor your request. I will honor your request. There is a place where I'm not there. That's hard. God doesn't desire it, but nonetheless, he honors that request. And he goes on and he says this, My mouth, David writes, will praise the Lord. Let all who live praise his holy name forever. Our God is generous. Ephesians chapter 1, 7 through 8 says this, and this is one big way I think that God is generous. He's generous in so many ways, but this is one big way. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our offenses according to the riches of his grace, that he lavished. He wasn't stingy with this. He wasn't, he wasn't in any way holding back, but rather lavished this grace, this forgiveness on us, Paul writes, in all wisdom and insight. The late Catholic priest and author and professor Henry Nouwen wrote this, God is a generous giver, but we can only see and enjoy God's generosity when we love God with all our hearts, minds, and strength. As long as we say, I will love you, God, but first show me your generosity, we will remain distant from God and unable to experience what God truly wants to give us, which is life in life in abundance. So this is why I praise God. It's not the only reasons why, but there are three reasons why. I praise him because he is great. I praise him because he is good, and I praise him because he's generous. And my invitation to you all this morning is simply this. I want to invite you to praise him as well. Because as he has been great to me, as he has been good to me, as he has been generous to me, I believe he has also been all three of those things to every single one of you as well. Truly, I believe that. So this morning, I want to invite you. 
to praise him. To make a fool of yourself for him, even. To embrace him. God doesn't force us to do this. You don't have to do this at all. Even here. If everyone else is standing and you're not there, don't. You're not moved? Don't. Don't fake it. Please. But if you are here and you want to praise, let's praise him. Let's do it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. In response to everything that God has done and given to us. Amen? Let me pray for us. And we're going to sing. It's not our only way of praising, but we're going to sing as we close out our time here this morning. Father, in heaven and on earth, I am so grateful that I get to praise you, Jesus. Lord, I have to be honest with you. If there was nothing, if Psalm 145 had never existed as giving me reasons why to praise you, Jesus, I would still... I would hope, want to praise you. Jesus, it is the desire of my heart not to seek a, re a reason to praise you. That, that's already there. But rather, the desire of my heart, I pray, Jesus, would be to praise you for simply who you are, not for what you do for me. What you have done much, more than I could ever possibly know. I pray, Father, this morning that the truth of this psalm in what you have done would rest not only on my heart but on the hearts of every single person here this morning in person as well as online Jesus and that in response we would just simply praise you we would dance we would cry we would sing we would serve we would love we would be compassionate we would be merciful we would be you to others have your way with us, Jesus, right now. It's your holy and precious name that we pray, Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.